In the rapidly changing world, healthcare needs are constantly evolving and clinicians need to find new ways to deliver care. And often the best way to do that is by looking back. Without Marie Curie, there would be no pioneering improvements to medical imaging today. If Edward Jenner didn't inoculate a 13-year-old with cowpox, there wouldn't even be a space for Professor Ian Fraser's cervical cancer vaccine. Our clinicians are standing on the shoulders of those who came before them, learning, growing and advancing. Hindsight isn't 2020. It's our future. Now more than ever, technology plays an integral role in the way care is delivered. But even in a pre-COVID world, clinicians have been finding creative technological solutions to improve the way care is delivered. From telehealth to virtual monitoring, devices and machine learning, there is no limit to where technology will take healthcare next. While machine learning fills me with a fear of a Terminator-style future, Gold Coast Health's ED has found a novel way to use it to better identify people at present who may have suicidal ideations. Chris Stapleberg shared how it is applied and why I shouldn't fear the machines. The Gold Coast Mental Health and Specialist Services has been implementing one of the largest uh, implementations in Australia of the Zero Suicide Framework. Now, this has involved retraining several hundred clinicians in specific techniques of taking history, and we place consumers who present with a suicidal crisis on a particular clinical pathway called the suicide prevention pathway. We needed to know whether what we are doing actually works. So this is part of an outcomes evaluation. We need, this has to be data-driven. And the difficulty we have is that it is very challenging to identify actual suicidal presentations from emergency department data. So I'm talking about databases such as EDIS and now FirstNet. And the difficulty is if one simply does a search for some keywords, for example, uh, a diagnosis uh, related to a suicidal presentation, uh, only about a third of cases are identified. And that's work we published last year. So a lot of the important data that we would use to identify someone is it's either complex to get at or it's unstructured. So it's written in triage text, which is free text, which again is difficult to, to search for. So we went to a machine learning solution. Now this is called an evolutionary algorithm and I'll briefly explain how it works. So effectively what we do is we randomly generate lots and lots, like hundreds of different solutions to look at the data, like data from EDIS, and get a machine to almost guess whether, based on weightings of a whole bunch of variables, it thinks that a presentation is a suicidal presentation or, or non-suicidal presentation, so someone who might have come in with a broken arm or gastrointestinal pain or something like that. What happens is we then we hold all those different solutions up to a bar and we see how well they perform. 
And by a bar, we, we assess their fitness. So we might have an outcome measure and say, okay, um, if you can identify 80% of cases correctly as a suicidal presentation, that's good. The ones that might only identify, say, 20% or so, we actually start selecting out the successful and, and separating out the unsuccessful solutions, and then we cull the inferior solutions. So this is all done within a computer, looking at the data, trying different solutions. We then have a small group of successful sort of computer algorithms, the way they've weighted things, and we then mutate those. So we randomly shift the weights slightly, and we generate a new population here. We generate a new population, and then we test those out. And we essentially go round and round and round. So each time we go round the cycle, it's called a generation. And we can work to hundreds of generations. So this is done in high-speed computers. So this is a little bit about what things look like in practice. So we chose two time periods of three months, 2015, 2017. During that time, you can see there were a lot of, you know, tens of thousands of presentations to our emergency department. We are currently the busiest emergency department in Australia. We looked at initial codes, presenting diagnoses and everything, but we took a subset of that data. And the reason we took a subset is because a psychiatrist, uh, yours truly, had to sift through each of these and actually work out whether they were a suicidal presentation or not. So we ended up with these. And then we end up with two data sets. So one is a training data set that we're going to train the algorithm on. And the other one is then to test how well it performs on data that it has not seen before. So for training, we had 851 suicidal presentations and 9,600 non-suicidal presentations in a cohort of over 10,000. And then we had some almost 8,000 for the validation data set with 485 suicidal presentations and some 7,300 non-suicidal presentations. The first step is we had to kind of work out how we set all the weights for all the variables that the algorithm uses. And so we did a frequency analysis. So you, for example, take diagnosis in EDIS, that diagnosis field in the data, and you see what the most frequent diagnoses that are put in that against patients who have a suicidal presentation. And then that kind of allows you to work out what people tend to put in as a diagnosis, so these are people working in the emergency department that fill in the data and what they don't, and therefore to tell the system to kind of work out what to look out for. We then also did a text analysis for the actual triage text. So this is not as sophisticated as some branches of artificial intelligence which use natural language processing, but it was a fairly sophisticated search. But it would effectively search for key words, things like suicidal ideation or overdose in the triage text. And these are then, we talk about n-grams, which are either a word or even two words or three words which might form a phrase, which can be frequently um, found reproducibly in a text. And we also work with word stems. So we use sort of this suicide as a word stem because from that you can get suicidal, suicidality, a whole lot of different word sort of permutations. So we just look for the stem. Eventually we identified 136 variables that were going to be useful and we used those to weight the evolutionary algorithm. So that's that big diagram I showed you earlier on. 
We then had to test whether this thing is going to work on data that it hasn't seen before. So eventually, after running this for something like 150 generations, we actually came up with a set of final weights for those 136 variables. And in the training data set, we achieved a sensitivity of 99.2% for a specificity of 95%. Now that's high, but what tends to happen is the system gets to know the data that it's trained on pretty well. So the real trick is to test it on data that it hasn't seen before, and on that it generally runs a little bit lower. So we achieved an, an end sensitivity of 95% for a specificity of 92%, which is pretty good as far as these systems go. So with sensitivity and specificity, you can get, you can get a trade-off. And you essentially, the diagram here is called a receiver operator curve, and it kind of demonstrates that trade-off a little bit. And really, you, wanna, you sort of want an optimum for the highest sensitivity and specificity that you can concurrently get. And as you can see here, you can kind of trade off. So if you want a specificity of slightly lower at 91%, you get slightly higher sensitivity. This is what we then set the system for to actually use it in real life. And what I just want to show briefly here is this is kind of the reason we did this work. This is really efficient. So if you actually take all the development time and the time to look at the training data and everything like that, we end up with approximately 269 sort of person hours. Whereas if we'd actually tried to do the work by hand just for this set, it would have probably taken about almost 8,500 hours. So the difference in cost and the money that can be saved here is substantial. And what we're going to do now is we're actually going to work a little bit more with actual natural language processing. We're very keen to look at things like SIMR data, which will help us ask, answer other questions. But, you know, we recently analysed 1.4 million cases. We, we analysed 10 years of data. And that could be done in the space of about half an hour which if you consider how many person hours that would have taken, it's a huge amount. So thank you very much. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.